welcome to Jeff Pasito Reads. I'm Jeff Pasito, and this is today's story. Love Lost Panting for air, the small white plumes flitted to nothing above her as Nancy fell to the snowy floor. Her face dug deep into the powdery loam, sharp spikes of cold drilling through her tightly closed eyelids and twisting at the back of her skull. Her nostrils flared, filling with the cool, crisp pellets of snow that covered every square inch of the darkened landscape. She opened her mouth to scream, to call his name in one last, panting breath, but the unforgivingly cold Arctic twilight took that from her. She laid there, face down in the snow, the ice creeping into her veins, through her muscles, and teasing her bones as the light blanket of fresh snow covered her twitching corpse. William lay still in the calm serenity of the midnight sun. His body was in a shocked state of euphoria. His extremities were numb, senseless as they spread across the tundra. His cheeks pulsated between cool hills of ice and burning spires of magma as the Arctic took his senses from him one at a time. He couldn't remember when he stopped walking, or even how he ended up on his back, staring at the unrelenting sun as it burned its way across the horizon, like a halo of the north. He had been walking for what felt like days. At one point, his legs just started moving of their own accord as his mind began to separate from his body. He walked as unconsciously as he breathed, although breathing was becoming more and more laborious now, as he could feel his diaphragm flexing hard to suck the icy air into his lungs, filling him with a thousand shards of stinging pain. He wet himself, his last sensation being a spreading warmth up his torso as gentle flakes began to pile on his lifeless frame. Nancy was only going to be gone a minute. She was just taking a short half-mile march from their camp out over a small ridge to the east, She had her crevice pole and her snowshoes were lashed to her back should she encounter any soft drifts. She wanted to get a look at the glacial range from the opposite side, as the undulations reminded her of an abstract sculpture she had seen once in Japan. She spent a lot of time in Japan. She used to travel there often. She loved Japan more than anywhere else. That is, after all, where she first met William. William stood on the crest of the icy hill Nancy had passed over less than an hour ago. He stood there, eyes squinted against the harsh glare of the forever dawn, scanning the field of undisturbed snow that ran between him and the horizon. Ten minutes after Nancy had disappeared over the peak of this tiny hill line, the blizzard hit. It was brief but devastating, dropping nearly a foot and a half of snow across the barren landscape. William's guides had forced him to hunker down in the bubbled tents with them. They did all they could short of sedating him to keep him from tearing out of the tents and running through the wall of snow towards the ridge, towards his love. When he could scream no more, he cried for a solid twenty minutes while the wind whipped sheets of frozen snow at the double-walled vinyl of their tent. He blubbered for another ten minutes as the whistling storm slowly subsided. And now here he was, staring at an empty field without even the faintest sign that his beloved had ever been there. More tears would have welled up in the pockets of his eyes 
had the cold not frozen them deep within. The cold that seemingly took his Nancy now took from him his ability to weep for her. In a fit of rage, he charged off the hill, running into the barren wilderness, screaming at the elements, screaming for them to take him instead of her. The world needed people like Nancy, and he'd given his life to have her live. He fell to his knees and palmed his face. He sobbed and whimpered, but again no tears came. His eyes ached, jagged needles of pain stabbing at his broken heart, barbed edges ripping at his very soul. The blood in his veins boiled, and he rose, faltering only slightly, determination setting itself on his face. Determination and anger. Pure, rooted anger for a world that would take his love from him. That unbridled passion for Nancy pushed him forward, staggering one unsteady foot in front of the other. He had no stick, no snowshoes, not even an emergency rescue kit should she have fallen into a chasm or been blown over and covered by the winds. But none of that mattered to him. Getting to her was all that mattered. Finding her was all that mattered. Nancy was all that mattered. Japan was in the middle of a heat wave. It was the warmest summer on record, the mercury peaking at well over 40, and Nancy was loving every minute of it. She spent most of her days sprawled out on Odaiba Beach, thoroughly engorged in the serenity of the glass-smooth bay while the city hung heavy across Rainbow Bridge. The nights she spent hopping in and out of the smoke-hazed rooms and pulsing lights of the clubs and bars that dotted Shibuya and Shinjuku. It was in one of those places where your pulse matched the throbbing rhythm of the synth-pop while colored rays of light strobed all around you that she first saw William. He was sidled up to one of the translucent bars that slowly oscillated between white, pink, and purple in a slow meander that weaved through the thumping beats. The only reason she took notice of him was he was chatting with a short, stocky Japanese woman with spiked pink hair and an older man who looked to be at least 100. It was just such an obtuse correlation of bodies. The second time she saw him was at the beach, where he was learning, with absolutely no luck, to windsurf. The day was humid and languid, with a haze that shimmered just above the hot pavements that surrounded the sandy stretch between roadways. Not even the slightest breeze seemed to kiss her sweat-stippled cheek, yet for some reason William thought it would be a good day to learn to windsurf. She slid up beside him at the rental kiosk as he returned his board and sail. His instructor kept repeating to him over and over what a good student he was, and he smiled and thanked him in terribly broken Japanese. Hi, she said, her body parallel to his, just tilting her head ever so slightly in his direction. Hi, William said back, barely darting his eyes in her direction before taking a double take of her. Oh, hello. He smiled, lips held tight together, but his entire face lit up. This wasn't the first time William had seen Nancy. It was probably the seventh or eighth. Although it wasn't hard to miss a nearly six-foot-tall blonde woman on the streets of Japan, what really caught his eye was how she carried herself. She had such a confidence as she moved, like each step of her foot, each sway of her arm, was just meant to be exactly as it was. 
They were married nine months later in a traditional Mayan wedding ceremony performed by an authentic shaman. Everything from the steam baths to the wafting scent of cinnamon recreated the ancient rite at the peak of Koba. Their love of life, of adventure, brought them together and kept them in eternal love. Together, William and Nancy hiked the cragged heights of the Himalayas in search of a fabled hermit who spoke in languages no one understood and yet blessed everyone who came his way and sent them off enlightened. They snorkeled the world's reefs and scubaed the deeper depths, even freediving once in the Azores, where they spoke silent signals to the deep-sea dolphins as they danced about the clear blue ocean. The thrill, the exhilaration of that intimacy with the ocean, of that intimacy with nature, brought a panicked euphoria to their collective conscious they never forgot. They went base jumping off the Burj Khalifa, the spiraling updrafts of the wind buffeting their suits in a pantomime of winged flight before their chutes snapped them to attention and they slowly floated towards the fountains that danced below them. Zip-lining the Amazon, the trees flitting by on either side of them, while the gorgeous reds and blues and yellows of flocks of macaws kept pace with them below. The songs of the tamarind echoed off the canopy as the world fell away from them, and they only knew each other. Only knew love. They even planted trees in Brazil, first as part of a group helping to reforest the area, then just the two of them. They spent a week on their own planting for fun, for themselves, for the earth. They planted to leave the world a legacy that they had once been here, once existed, in so much love and passion. The frozen tundra of the Arctic was the location of their 21st trip together, a trip to the top of the world, and apparently a trip to their end. William fell to his back in the middle of the endless plain of white. He laid still for what felt like days, long wisps of streaky clouds swimming about above him. But it must have only been hours. He could feel the cold creeping through his veins, spreading across his face and locking his slowly fading eyes open. His half-dead retinas felt nothing as they glazed, unwavering, at the blazing midnight sun that teased the barren landscape about him with its false heat. The brilliance reminded him of Nancy, the way the sun kissed her cheek as it streamed through their blinds. Her peaceful face nestled into the white pillow beside him as he laid there staring at his wife. She would smile, her warm, thin lips pulling up into a grin, and he knew she was dreaming of him, of them, as he often dreamed of her. He knew only her, saw only her, and loved only her. Now here he laid, all by himself, on a different sheet of white, covered by a cold, thin blanket of snow. Nancy's vibrant glow wasn't there to warm him, yet his cracked white lips curled up in a smile as he pictured her, by his side, forever. Mr. McCloskey! The young assistant was scurrying towards the archaeologist, his puffy Arctic environment suit causing him to trot along like an astronaut bounding across the lunar surface. I, I think I found something. McCloskey waddled over towards the boy, 
his own cumbersome warming suit slowing his movement and exaggerating each motion. The young man hurried off, beckoning the aged scientist to follow. It was difficult for McCloskey to follow. Keeping pace with such an exuberant youth, especially under these conditions, would have been difficult even without his advanced age. He finally reached the boy, who stood by the marked-off dig area. The sensation of excitement that spilled off his assistant was nearly palpable, and McCloskey felt his heart began to quicken its pace. Turning the face shield of his helmet down to peer through the carefully carved tundra and permafrost, he froze momentarily, before dropping to his knees in the soft white powder. There, three feet beneath the edge of the snow-covered surface and under a thin layer of translucent ice were the perfectly preserved figures of a human male and female. The man laid on his back, one arm outstretched, hand half-closed, almost pointing towards the woman, who laid on her side, arms curled up in front of her, as if reaching for the man's hand. Mr. McCloskey? His assistant asked. It's the proof, Tommy. It's the proof of life, McCloskey said, his word coming in languid stretches as he took in the whole scene. You mean? Tommy trailed off, his own mind now comprehending the implications of their discovery. Yes, Tommy, McCloskey said, twisting the ceiling ring at the base of his helmet. A short, sharp hiss escaped as the cool air danced along the moisture particles in the suit's warm environment. This proves the theories. He slid the helmet off, and squinting his eyes against the cold, his scaly green flesh tightened noticeably against the chill air as his reptile-like snout spilled plumes of sublimating moisture into the air. Before the age of reptiles, mammals walked the earth. And so it came to pass that Mr. McCloskey was the first reptile to prove the existence of Homo sapiens, a bipedal mammal that not only roamed the planet 65 million years ago, but dominated it. His discovery was the first step in a series of discoveries that began showing Homo sapiens' domination over the Earth. Other remains were found, as well as the foundations of buried cities. Signs of commerce and trade, farming, even religion. All things once thought only the dominion of the reptiles were now showing signs of having been practiced albeit in a rudimentary form, by ancient mammals. Nancy and William froze to death that fateful day 65 million years ago. Their outstretched arms were mere feet apart, neither of them ever knowing how close they had come to finding each other. They now stand at the Museum of Natural History as a testament to the world that had been before. Suspended and preserved, their open hands remain inches from each other. Their love was lost and never found. Thank you for listening to today's story. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me by email at jeff at That's J-E-F-F at P-A-C-I-T-T-O dot com. On Twitter at jpacitoreads, or visit our website at Pasito.com. See you soon. Some additional sound effects for this episode are from Zapsplat.com and used under their standard license. All contents of this audio broadcast are copyrighted by Jeff Pasito.